Good morning, Mission Viejo Christian Church. I am glad to see you and to hear you. Glad to hear you. Glad that you're here and excited. Um, you may have noticed I'm not Pastor Mike. You probably find him like more energetic and more attractive and everything else like that. And I'm good with that. I'm okay. Uh, but wanted to let you know uh, he's he came up this week and not feeling so well. And so uh, one of the things we've all learned over the last 18 to 24 months is we've learned to adapt and to pivot and to adjust and to overcome, right? And so here we are. You may have come, uh, you may have received an email saying we're starting uh, a new series. That's not happening this morning. (laughs) Stick around, though, because it should be starting up and kicking in again uh, next week. But in the meantime, here we are. Uh, uh, Also, I wanted to say one of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning is communion. The the communion that we celebrate on a regular basis. And at the end of the service, we're going to be receiving communion together as one. And so if you're with us online and you're participating with us online, I just want to make sure, take a moment right now, run into the kitchen, grab the closest thing that you can find to bread and juice, and hang on to that because we want you to be a part of this experience with us as well. We're going to be uh, primarily working out of Mark uh, the 14th chapter today, uh, where Jesus actually institutes the Lord's Supper and communion. But before we get there, wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of unity. Because when we celebrate communion together, and when we participate in communion together, we do it in a sense of unity, uh, united in that regard and that way. And so I want to hit this passage first. It's out of the book of Galatians, and Paul is writing uh, to the community there. And this is what he has to say about the unity that they share. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, yourself, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Amen. There is neither, therefore, Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means that regardless of the things that make us different from one another, and there may be many even here in this room, whatever things that may be different from one to the other, it doesn't matter because they're not as strong as the things that bind us together in Christ. We are in Christ together. And that's never more important, I think, for believers than it is today in the world that we live in, right? Because we live in a world that is intensely divided. We in this room and across this auditorium in the groups online, right? We hold different opinions on a lot of things. And if we want to take what Paul's saying to the Galatians seriously, we have to understand that he might phrase it differently if he were talking and writing a letter to the church at Mission Viejo. I think he might say, you're one in Christ. For in Christ, there is neither Republican nor Democrat, neither conservative nor progressive, Neither unvaxxed or vaxxed, masked or not masked. None of those things compare to the unity that you share together in Christ. And none of those things can we allow to come between us. Are we entitled to have opinions? Can we do our best to interpret what Christ says in the Gospels and apply them to the circumstances that we find ourselves? Absolutely. Is it possible we will differ with one another on the way that they apply? apply? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when we come to the Lord's table, 
When it comes time to celebrate communion and focused on the Christ that we serve together in unity, we are one regardless of those differences. And those melt away. They don't matter at the foot of the cross. They don't matter at the Lord's table. They don't matter when we celebrate communion together. The Apostle Paul describes what happens in the life of somebody who starts following Jesus. And he talks about it in terms of adoption. He says, when you follow Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. You are outside of the family of God. But then because of what Jesus did, you're within the family of God. And that does not just change your relationship with your heavenly father, although it does that. But it also places you in a unique and a precious and a very special relationship with everybody else who's in the family. We're not just adopted into the Father's family. We're adopted into the family. And as a family, we are one. When we place our faith in Jesus, it it changes our unique identity. And it places us in that special relationship. Our unity is in Christ. And I have been concerned, I will say frankly, with something that I've seen in the body of Christ at large. And I've seen a tendency that I think it's not, so ma- it's not such a big deal that it would trouble me, but I believe it br- grieves the heart of God, and so I've got to speak to it. I'm hearing a lot of people who, when they speak about what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it is to be one in Christ with others, that that unity in Christ is not unity in Christ alone, but there's a growing sense that I'm hearing out there about a unity in Christ plus. We're one because of Christ plus politics. We're one because in Christ plus ethnicity or nationality or economic stature or whatever it may be. And I just, I have to say this, that if our unity is built around anything Christ plus, then we are in a broken place. If we built our unity around Christ plus politics, it's not that we misunderstand the politics. It's that we misunderstand what it is to be one in Christ We've got, <coughs> pardon me, we have to get that first, and we have to get that right, and we've got to be firm in that as well. So with all of that in mind, we're going to talk about what's at the core of the core of the core of what it is to be a professing Christian who follows Jesus Christ, and the way that we celebrate that together in the gift that is communion. That's what we're talking about this morning. And Jesus, in the book of Mark, begins the process of instituting what we call the Lord's Supper. And Mark records it this way in chapter 14. He says that while they were eating, this is Jesus and his disciples, this is at the Passover meal right before he was going to be crucified. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Uh, He said to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Can I just tell you? There is a lot going on in that passage. And we're going to spend some time drawing out in that passage. What's Jesus doing in that passage? 
And then we're going to spend a little talk, time talking about what are we doing when we respond to that passage by receiving communion together. What's happening in, the first, in this passage? The first thing is this. Jesus is preparing them for what they were about to witness in his suffering and in his death. As he's instituting this covenant, he's preparing them for what's about to happen and what's about to play out in the next few hours. They've been walking with him and living with him and traveling with him for three years. He's become their source of life, their understanding of the kingdom of God. They've left everything to follow him. And in a matter of hours, they're going to see him mercilessly beaten, broken, and hanging on a cross. And he knows that that's coming. And he wants, them to know, he wants them to understand it. He wants them to be prepared for it. He wants them to be ready for when the suffering happens that they're equipped in the best possible way. He provides warning. He, warning. he gives them understanding. Jesus, do you understand, wants to give us today what we're going to need for tomorrow. Amen. He knew what was coming and he knew what the disciples needed to make it through, and so he gave it to them in this moment. And just applying that along the way to you and to me, who knows what tomorrow holds? We don't know, but God does. What do we need for what tomorrow holds? We don't know, but God does. And it is in Jesus' heart for you and for me to give us today what's going to be necessary to make it tomorrow. And the offer is there. And the disciples received that because they were there in a moment with him. How are we ready for what's going to face us tomorrow? We've got to have a moment with Jesus today. We need to craft the schedule of our life to create moments in God's presence, moments in his word, moments in prayer, moments in fellowship, moments where God can speak to us and give us in that moment what we may not even need in that moment, but we're sure going to need it tomorrow. And when we fail to take the steps to be with God on a daily basis, it's, it's, it's not just that we disappoint God, although I think that may be a little bit true, I don't know, but it's also that we fail to receive from God what he's trying to give us so that tomorrow is the day in which we can triumph and in which we can overcome. We find that from him today. And so I'm not sure what your particular practice is of meeting with the Lord, but I want to say, drill it in, make it consistent, create those moments with God where he speaks to you in his word and in prayer, because tomorrow, I guarantee, you're absolutely going to need it. So Jesus is making them ready. He's preparing them for what's coming. Secondly, Jesus is explaining what his suffering means. They're about to observe some incredible suffering. And you and I both know that when it comes, times to, comes to trial and tribulation and difficulty and things that we don't understand, and why isn't God coming through, and why don't I understand it, and this is hard, that, that'll shake us, man. That will rock our world. And there's something in us that craves understanding for what does this mean that I'm going through? Jesus provides this for his disciples. He doesn't want them to miss it. You see, he's in the context of the Passover meal. He's celebrating that critically important moment in Israel's history where in the process of being delivered from slavery in Egypt, um, they're told, hey, you're going to need to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and and place the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of your heart because tonight uh, judgment is coming. Tonight God's judgment is coming all over Egypt and it's going to come over where the Israelites live too. And And the angel will come and kill the firstborn in every family except for those who have demonstrated their faith in God by the sacrifice of a perfect lamb 
and the demonstration of his blood over the doorposts of their home, those people would be delivered. That was God's promise. That was God's declaration. And it's exactly how it played out. And so that became a part of their national identity, right? That became a part of who it's what they celebrated every year at the same time. It was that seminal moment for them where they became who they were as God's chosen people. And that was part of their, every year they reenacted and they replayed that and they lived that out and reminded themselves that they were a people delivered by God because of an act of faith when a perfect lamb was slain and his blood was demonstrated. That's what they're celebrating in the room when Jesus talks about my body's going to be broken in much the same way that the Passover lamb would be broken. And Jesus said, my blood's going to be shed and spilt in much the same way that the Passover lamb's blood was shed and was necessary for the deliverance of God's people. And in the same way, at the original Passover where a response was required, an act of faith that said, I believe what God has said, and I want to follow his plan for making sure that I am delivered. I'm going to do what he says because I'm believing in faith. There's nothing magical about some lamb's, uh, lamb's blood on a doorpost. There's nothing inherently like a superpower or anything like that. But there was a powerful demonstration of faith that said, I've heard God say it, I believe it, I'm going to act on it and demonstrate my faith by doing that. And when God sees that faith, he's moved and deliverance happens. Amen. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to be broken. I'm about to bleed out my life's blood. And it's for your sake. And it requires a response of faith. I don't want you to miss this, disciples. Disciples, I want you to understand that what this means is not that I made a horrible political miscalculation and got myself in trouble that was way above my station and now I'm ending up dead. He's saying, disciples, this is part of God's plan. What happened there at Passover in the ancient days pointed to what's about to happen in the next 72 hours. And this is the fulfillment of that. And I want you to understand that. That's what Jesus is doing as he's bringing meaning and explaining what's happening in his suffering. Um, in fact, this is the way Jesus says it in Matthew. He makes it really clear, unmistakably clear. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, specifically for the forgiveness of sins. There is a covenant formed in the Old Testament in that deliverance moment of Passover. I'm going to spill my blood forming a new covenant which is for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what's possible. Third, Jesus is inviting them to participate in faith, uh, by faith in something they don't completely understand. Jesus is inviting them to participate by faith in something they don't really understand. I promise you, Jesus spoke his word, these words to the disciples and and. In that moment, they could have not passed the most basic theology 101 quiz on the meaning of communion. They didn't fully understand. They didn't understand the nuances necessarily. But Jesus simply invited them to come participate. You may not understand all of it, but you're welcome to participate in it, and you can grow into that understanding. Can I, can I just simply say, for any of us in the room who at whatever point said, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, it was the same for us. I couldn't possibly understand all of what it means to follow Jesus. I still don't. I continue to grow into that. That's the way the life of faith works. 
and stepping by faith into something that you don't understand and embracing it, that, that's not just the starting point for following Jesus. That's the whole of following Jesus. Day by day, he calls us to operate by faith in things that we don't yet understand. If we could understand it, it wouldn't take faith. It would just take discipline, which is good as far as it goes. But God sees faith and attributes it to people as righteousness. Amen. That's not true of discipline. He doesn't attribute discipline as righteousness. It's faith. And so I want to encourage those of us who maybe say, the thing that's been holding me back either in saying yes to Jesus or in stepping forward into deeper uh, relationship with him is that I, I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. It doesn't make perfect sense. I don't have the whole system. If, if you're waiting for that, it's going to be a long wait. I dare say too long. Jesus invites his disciple to participate by faith in something that they don't yet understand and it's the same for you and for me today um, fourth this by the way I'm just checking the watch and yeah I did reset the watch so we're good that way um, stick, stick with us we're just applying some stuff along the way we're catching it there's some knowledge that we want to get but man there's a lot of God, God's heart that he wants to give us as well today. And I'm praying that you're catching some of that. The fourth thing Jesus is doing in this passage is he's establishing a new covenant and a new relational arrangement. This is what he says in Luke. This is Luke's telling of the same episode. In the same way, after supper, he, Jesus, took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's the new covenant. Jesus himself and his disciples that he, to whom he was speaking, they shared their identity. They were members of the covenant of being part of Israel. The covenant when, when God delivered the people from Egypt and he gave them a land and he gave them the law and said, here's my covenant. Here's the way I want you to live. This is going to work out great. Here's the way we're going to live it out and you're going to be my people. And they said, that covenant that we have with God, this arrangement for how we're going to live in a way that pleases him, that covenant defines who we are as a people. It was everything that we are, and that defined the relationship. And Jesus says something that would have blown their minds. That covenant was good as far as it went. But I've got something new. I've got, an, I've got a new arrangement for the way that you relate to the, uh, to the creator God of all things. And it doesn't have to do with your behavior, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with all the rules and keeping all of the traditions and doing it all just so. It doesn't have to do with a ton of head knowledge. It has to do with a heart of faith and simply believing and receiving that the work has been done. The old covenant with the laws and the rules proved one thing. Nobody can keep all that. We're all guilty. The new covenant starts there and says it doesn't matter because all the work of fulfilling God's perfection has been done in Jesus Christ. And all he asks is that we look to him and place our faith in him. And that establishes a new covenant which is not dependent on our behavior or our perfection or our depth or our knowledge or our understanding. It's simply dependent on the work of Christ. And in view of what he's done, we say, I, I believe. And I receive and I follow. And that's the deal. That's the covenant that Jesus is establishing there. This new covenant is estab that's established, it's based on faith, not works. And so it begs us to ask the question, in a brand new covenant that's free from all the legalism, that's free from all the rules, that's free from all the traditions, that's just based on faith and a new way to relate with God very personally, why on earth are we so drawn 
back to making it about the rules. There's something broken in the human person that says, yeah, I want that, but oh, rules are so comforting. A relationship, it, it's not as, I maybe don't know where, as much where I stand. It's fluid, it's shifting, right? It's, it's not so crisply defined. Um, but a rule, man, I know where I stand with a rule. In my quiet, honest moments, I know the rules I've kept. I know the rules I've broken. I know the excuses I've given myself for the rules I've broken, but I know exactly where I stand. Following rules doesn't require me to interact with God, not one bit. But a relationship with God based on faith means that every day I can come to him and say, what do you have for me today? How can I serve you today? How can we grow your kingdom? How can we promote your will? How can we cause your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, right? How can we be about that? Lord, walk with me, talk to me, I'm following you. I want to encourage us. If you've somehow stumbled back into the trap of my Christian faith is somehow about the things I do, even good things, a daily Bible study, a daily prayer routine, regular attendance at church, being part of life. These are all things that we do and they're great, but they are not the point. If your Christian faith is, can be distilled and boiled down to the things that you do and the things that you don't do, you've not entered into this new covenant that Jesus is setting up that says it's not about those things. It's about your heart, it's about your faith, and it's about your following of Jesus that way. Finally, in this passage, Jesus is instituting a new sacrament for his followers to practice. And sacrament is one of those really big religious words. Sounds very holy and scholarly and everything else. It's just a big fancy word that means a sacrament is one of the ways that God pours out his grace on us. It's one of the ways that we as human persons come into the presence of God and receive from him a special kind of grace. And this particular sacrament, this particular giving of grace comes in this Lord's Supper that Jesus enacts that way. The first disciples understood this to mean, uh, this passage to mean that on a regular basis, as a foundational part of their practice, they should reenact this moment that Jesus is sharing with them at the at this Passover meal. They understood that what was happening there in that moment was so significant that it was to be a part of their every meeting and their every gathering and their every celebration, that they should reenact the establishing of this new covenant. And in the early church, the celebration and the reenactment of the Lord's Supper was a central feature of their meetings together. As the church grew and grew structure and organization and thing, uh, their, their, the process of the church service referred to as the mass uh, and, and the, every mass, every time, would culminate at the climax with what became known as the Eucharist, the celebration, the reenacting of the Lord's Supper, which was the purpose for these very unified people for coming together and declaring their faith one with another. Now, over centuries, there was a lot of disagreement. People disagreed theologically about what was happening during communion. They argued, sometimes they argued, and sometimes they fought to the death over things like, is, are these merely symbols, or, or is there something more powerful going on? They fought, and they argued, and they disagreed about, should we use wine or just grape juice, and does it matter? They argued about, does it actually become the literal body and blood of Christ, or are they symbols? People have disagreed about how frequently you should receive communion, about how you should process communion, who communion should be open. There's been a lot of disagreement. Don't misunderstand. But across thousands of years, what has remained central among all Jesus-following churches, is that participating in this sacrament is a central part of what we do. 
So however it is that we do it, let's do it regularly. Let's do it with a full understanding. Let's do it in unity, saying that the central core that Jesus gave his body and his blood to save our souls and establish a new covenant, that that's at the central. None of the peripheral things that we argue about. Are we together on that? I hope that we are. We set aside our differences when we come to the Lord's table. Whether they're differences about the nature and the meaning of communion, or whether they're differences about politics and economics and social issues, whatever they are, whatever those differences are, we choose to lay them aside and say there's a central thing that's way more important than any of them. We celebrate the new covenant that defines who we are and how we relate to our loving God. So Jesus is doing all of these things in this moment, in this passage, in the book of Mark. And so what do we do? I mean, we're in the practice of receiving communion. A lot of times we do, at the end of this service, we give some time for reflection, and there's a chance to, on your own, take communion with the elements that are provided and stuff. That's one way of receiving communion. There are lots of ways to be sure. But how do we understand what we're all doing when we receive communion? Let's talk about that for a little bit. One of the things that we're doing is when we receive communion together, we are reaffirming our common confession of faith, right? Uh, the book of Matthew makes it real clear. Uh, Jesus starts asking some questions. He came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his own disciples, hey, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man is Jesus' kind of name for himself. He's asking, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, And Jesus asked this, like, laser-focused question. But what about you? Let's set aside what they're saying, what the world's saying, what the media's saying, what other groups are saying. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And always first to respond, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the promised one. You are the Son of God. And just to make the point clear, Matthew records Jesus' response. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. That is, Simon, you got it right. That confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus goes on to say, that's the foundation of the church. The church is built on the foundation of that confession, that Jesus is the promised one of God. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And when we come to the communion table, that's the common confession that we're making. We come together and say with a unified voice, as a part of our unified voice, as part of our practice, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Son of God. And that is what we do. Jesus Christ is Lord. And our participation in the new covenant becomes a part of who we are. And we also declare that our life as followers of Jesus is lived together with others who share that confession with us. It's not just that I make that confession or that you make that confession. But communion is a time where together we say for all of our differences, for all the ways in which we're not the same, this is what binds us together. Jesus Christ is God's promised Messiah, the Son of God himself. And that's the confession that we make. What else do we do when we're receiving communion? We are remembering Jesus' death 
and we're declaring its significance. When we receive communion, we're remembering his death and declaring its significance. Now, you know what? I used to think, gosh, remembering his death, it's not like I'm going to forget. Like one day I went to church, and I'm like, why are we here? What's this thing? I don't quite remember. In a few years, I might get to that point, and we'll deal with that when it comes. But for now, I don't feel like I'm really likely to forget. But think of remembering as a, a putting back together, a refashioning, a reenacting, a doing it again so that we're once again taking part in what took place that way. Uh, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was talking about communion. And this is what he said. He said, for whenever you eat this bread, and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are somewhat unique in the world of faith systems in that what we celebrate and proclaim is the death of our leader. For many people, for those who maybe don't have eyes to see, death is a failure. Death represents ambitions not achieved. Death represents possibilities not quite lived into and, and, and a life cut short. And yes, please understand, we do celebrate the resurrection that's on the other side of that. We understand that death is not the end of the story. But Paul says, take the cup, take the bread, and in doing so, you proclaim his death. And part of what he's saying is this. He's reminding us that Christ overcame by suffering and by sacrifice and by death. As followers of his, how are we going to overcome? Is it possible that God asks us to accomplish his purposes in the same way that the one we follow did, sometimes by our suffering, sometimes by our sacrifice, Sometimes by just dying to ourselves and letting God's will be done. Jesus did not triumph and emerge victorious by the world's standards. He died a real death. And what we proclaim when we receive communion together is in part that we remember that our, that our Savior died but there's a little bit of a commitment in our own life, too, to say, God, I will die whatever little death you call me to in order to move your kingdom forward and to see your will be done. I'll entrust the business of resurrecting that into something meaningful to you, but I will walk into whatever challenge you call me to because that is the way that Jesus has saved. Here's something else that we're doing when we participate in communion. We are, indi we are indicating our participation in the new covenant. Right? Jesus said, hey, I'm preparing a new covenant for you. And when we receive communion, we're going, I'm in on that. I want some of that. Whatever my belief system was, whatever my arrangement was for relating to God in the past, I am gonna, I'm now saying I am a part of this new covenant that Jesus Christ has established. So for some of us, what that means is, look, I've lived a pretty decent life. I've done pretty well. I've, I've done mostly good things. I've avoided mostly bad things. I've lived an honorable life. And but here's this new covenant that says none of that matters. And so I'm not going to proclaim how good I've been as, as the way that I got to know God. I'm going to say those don't matter. The new covenant is just about faith. That's some of us. Others of us are on the other side of that. 
man, my life has been a train wreck and a dumpster fire. I've made every bad decision you could make, and I've doubled down on most of them. I'm living the consequences of some of them, and some of the consequences are still to roll out. I have I've lived myself into a boxed canyon that I can't get out of. If there's any justice in the world, there's no way I'm going to be part of God's family. But there's a new covenant that says that kind of justice is not the justice that matters. The justice that matters is that Christ paid for the price on the cross and he invites you to be a part of the family and that you can participate in that new covenant along with anybody and everybody else and to celebrate that. And that's what we celebrate when we step in and say, I am in on the new covenant. We do that at the point of communion. I'm part of that community. A fourth thing that we're doing, we are demonstrating our immersion in the new covenant. Not just, hey, I'm signing up for it, but we're saying, this new covenant is what defines me. Remember the old covenant for the Israelites? It defined who they were. They existed as Israelites because they participated in that covenant. This, this new covenant, I'm indicating that I'm all in. And I'm not just dabbling in it, I'm immersed in it. It's a part of me and I'm a part of it in a way that can't be distinguished. That's part of the beauty of the symbolism. We take these elements, right? Bread and juice. And we eat them and we swallow them. And we digest them. And these symbols of God's saving work get diffused into our, whole, into our bodies at the level of every cell. You, you can't tell those elements from anything else because what God has done has become an inherent, essential, indivisible part of who I am. When we receive communion, we're saying, yes, God, I, I want to be so connected to your new covenant that, that it, it, it's a part of my every cell in my body. Amen. Finally, we declare powerfully our connectedness to every other follower of Jesus Christ because we do it together. We do it together here in this room and we'll, along with those who are online. But across our nation this morning and around the world, other believers will be doing some version of this same thing. And we stand in solidarity and in union with them, saying we are a part of the community and the covenant that Jesus established when he went to the cross. And we say that my life in Christ is not just an individual thing that I practice on my own. It's, it's not just a thing that I share with my community of faith here at Mission Viejo Christian Church. But, but I'm a part of what God is doing around the world and across history, that I am participating in the saving work of Christ and I'm a part of his plan that way. And that is powerful. It takes us again past the thing that, that, that my faith is just about me, but I am part of something larger. Our life as followers of Jesus is lived out together with others who share not just faith and not just a church, but a very life together. And so in just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. In fact, uh, in the seats in front of you, we've got these elements here. Um, so sometimes they're a little tricky to undo, right? And so you may want to start now just kind of prepping that, that first layer of the cellophane coming off so that you're ready when the time comes. But I want to say this. Before we move to receiving communion, communion is a very tangible act that reflects something that's taken place in our heart. When we have said yes to the offer of salvation that Jesus made while dying on the cross. 
It's an indication that we're participating in a new covenant that he announced when he was speaking to the disciples. And then he went to the cross and to the grave to secure. And for all the things we just discussed, we're saying, yes, I'm in on that. And so do you understand, I I hope that you do, that until such a time as someone has said, yes, I'm in. Yes, I am placing my faith in what Christ has done. I'm declaring myself to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Until that moment happens, communion is nothing particularly significant. It's what my friend would refer to as the world's smallest snack. But when it is an expression of faith in Christ, it becomes incredibly incredibly meaningful in all the ways we've just discussed. So maybe you're one of those who've been around it for a while, You've, you've seen Christian faith play out. You've done all these things. But you've never had that moment where you said, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm placing my faith in Christ. I just want to suggest that this could be your moment. This, this could be the morning where in your heart you say yes. And then what you do in receiving communion here in just a moment is incredibly powerful and incredibly significant. It doesn't take a huge looming prayer. It doesn't take a big gaudy kind of a moment. It can be the quiet statement in your soul. Jesus, I'm placing my faith in you and I'm following you. And if you, if you want to do that this morning, do that by all means, right where you sit. When the service is done, Pastor Brian would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Zach would love to talk to you. There's people at Connection Point who would love to touch base with you and help you understand that and take great next steps in that and kind of unpack all the meaning of that. But you don't need us to take that first initial step, which is just simply say, Jesus, yes, I believe. So this, if this is your moment, you do that. And then when we receive communion here in just a moment, it'll be, it'll be fantastic. It'll be that way. Jesus took the bread, it says, and he broke it. He said, this is my body. Our Lord and our Savior, he hung on a cross and allowed his body to be tortured and brutally beaten because he had a vision for the kind of relationship he wanted you to have with the Heavenly Father. And when we receive this bread, we say, what Christ did on the cross is for me, and I'm a part of that. Heavenly Father, we place our faith in you, We are grateful beyond measure for the gift of your son. And we ask God that even in the faith-filled receiving of these elements this morning, God, you would pour out your grace upon us and help us to understand your great love for us in ways maybe deeper than we ever have before. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. says that Jesus also took the cup and said, this is the covenant in my blood. I think it's interesting that throughout um, the early church and even up until con- mostly contemporary times, a lot, of, um, a lot of fellowships would use a common cup, right? They'd come to the front and everyone would drink out of the same cup. The symbolism is beautiful. The hygiene, maybe not so much, but the symbolism is fantastic. That this is something that we all do together. This is something that we all share in. That Christ's blood, which purchases the forgiveness of our sins, is the same thing that we all appeal to. So, Heavenly Father, you gave us Jesus, and he gave his life, and he shed his blood 
so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be set free from our own wickedness and so that we could be healed and delivered into your hands. So God, we receive what he did by faith in these elements. And we ask God that your grace and the work of Christ would have its intended impact in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's receive this together. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.